Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code mentors the number four MIL at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Mentors for Military Podcast. That's why I stopped marksmanship instruction. That's why I never contracted is because I knew as long as I was walking around with a gun in my hand and a kid on my chest, I was always going to be in the mindset I was when I was in the military and I was never going to evolve past what I was doing in my 20s. And that's unhealthy. And there's just so much more to life. And that. You know, now I, I work with special needs children on this horse farm in freaking Long Island. God knows why, but I ended up here and I accepted it, you know, as a challenge. And it's hard, man. I mean, I work with an all female staff. It's like torture some days. You know what I mean? Like it's palpable estrogen, but it's a different way to do things and in many ways a better way to do things. Um, and I'm better for it. I'm more well-rounded. I feel like I'm more effective uh, as a leader, as an employee, you know, as a I don't know, business person or whatever you want to call it. So I don't know. I was thinking about that a lot. We struggle because we get into conformity when we join the military. We conform to what they want us to be, the type of individual they want us to, to be as a fighting machine or as a warrior or whatever the case may be. We put those lessons to uh, good use when we go to combat. And when we come back from combat and we start thinking about our future, we either re- uh, reenlist and stay in what we're doing because we're comfortable with that, or we decide to change and go out to the private sector. But many of those individuals are not willing to adapt and to as- assimilate. So they struggle in that whole process. And I think what we're talking about, right, is evolution. You got to constantly evolve, you got to constantly disrupt yourself and adapt to the environment that you're in. Yeah, I, I always want, I agree with you hundred percent. I always wonder like, what are you hanging on to? You know, like what was, what are you hanging on to that you think you can't go back to as far as like who, who you are as a person you know, that you're afraid to try a new career field or accept a new idea or a different way of working or a different type of peer or peer group. And I think, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 
It was awesome when I was a ranger. I loved it. But I mean, I was in my 20s. Do you want that to be as high as you go? Do you want that to be the peak of your evolution? Because you got 30, 40 more years after you, your 20s that you're going to have to live. You, I still like Harleys and I still like bacon and whiskey, but there's more to life than that. There's That's what I don't I don't know. Well, Paul, I got to actually thinking about this too, you know, and about how back in the day, Don, you know, there were a Vietnam vets when we came in and began a lot of our military service. They were on the tail end of it. There were some of the guys that still stayed in, but you know, you, you look back at those with combat experience, those who had a combat patch and you started looking at them as being the mentors and the leaders. And we all know that not every single one of them were the greatest at doing it, something like that. Right. Um, they were maybe some of the leftovers who just decided, you know what, I'm going to hang on and get my 20 years in and do my retirement. And now, even though we're seeing a long, a prolonged uh, war and crisis here going on, um, we're also seeing, too, the military evolving back into more of a garrison for the conventional army type of setting, which a lot of the people have never, as leaders, been into because they joined the military and went right into a combat situation. And now that that's drawing down and more of the soft is over there and less of conventional forces, except for maybe security or something of that nature, it becomes more challenging for them to adapt once again. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And you talked about that the back end of, of Vietnam as or the, those old, those leaders when when I joined, you know, we had several of them that, you know, they were drafted and after their time they got out, go back home and the small towns that they were grown up in haven't evolved yet and they found that the military was, you know, farther progressed along for them and came back in and made it a career of things that they would have never had opportunities to do in, in their communities that, um, you know, they still brought in, you know, very valuable lessons as part of the training and, and, and that for that matter. And, you know, those were the ones that really weren't, um, you know, some maybe had high school educations, but most um, had GEDs while they were in the military. But, um, you know, they were better people for for providing a service that they did than they would have gotten in their small towns. As, as the military begins to continue on with less conventional forces within the fight, unless something changes in another theater, or we get more in, engaged with the conventional forces. It'll be interesting to see the, even the evolution of how many of those with a combat patch end up declining within the military so that, once again, maybe those who are fed up with that um, environment or that culture or whatever – get out of active duty and those that are left behind might not be the the most desirable as leaders but they may be leaned on because of that combat patch and you know hey paul you've got a combat patch that means you've been there done that help train our forces you may not be the ideal candidate to do that right uh, but the military is going to evolve and adapt as time goes on and people are going to start becoming more um, upset about the changes that are going on, that the military is maybe becoming more of a, of a garrison type of force once again. Um, so I think what, what I'm trying to say is for individuals, we have to constantly look at our surroundings that are going on around us and figure out where we fit in and how it is that we need to assimilate and adapt to either go above and beyond if that's what our goal is um, and excel at that or to blend in, whatever the case may be, to get your, you know, to, to remain satisfied and everything. I think what's always kind of shocking to me is like you were saying, 
the military is an expansive experience. You join from your small town or from your hometown, and you know life is one way, and all of a sudden you're in the midst of all these other cultures, and then you get out, and now now you're struggling to evolve. And uh, I think that that's always surprising to me, that these people get get stuck. And I think that it's interesting what you brought up about the combat um, combat action badge or Oh, we didn't go down that one. Yeah. You know, (laughs) but like the, like the, if, if you see me, like, let's say I was still in the military. So I'd be on, I don't know, year 15 or something like that of my service. If you see me with a combat patch or excuse me, a CIB, this is how long I've been out. I'm forgetting all my military stuff. guys. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask me to stay the Ranger Creed. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but if, if you see a guy, you know, let's say in his forties and he's still in service, and you know that it, the war isn't deploying conventional soldiers and hasn't been for maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. You know the instinct is, well, let's look up to this guy because he's been there, done that. But he did it so long ago, and your combat experience isn't—it's got an expiration date. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you you leave soft, and within six months, you're you're obsolete. You know, all the equipment I used is pretty much open source now, and it's only been since 2012 since that i deployed and it's interesting i think if you can get into the military and you can accept by assimilating by doing what the people around you do and by doing what you're told then when you get out you should use the same tactic you get out and you look at the people around you and you do what the successful ones do and you do what the ones who are in charge of you or or an authority over you tell you to do and see if that works, you know, first before you decide I'm going to ranger smash through this because Robert Rogers standing orders got me this far. Right. And and I think Paul would, that is, I think there's some really smart people that uh, on the strategic level can look out and, you know, have a 20 year, a 10 year plan or a 20 year plan of what the force will look like. I think we, I think, the job where it's not done well is it's not articulated to how we're going to get there or how they, how they're going to get there and what it's going to look like. And if it's a 20 year plan, what does it look like in two years? What does it look like in five years? What is, it's not, you know, cause think about at the smallest level, we're looking at what we're doing tomorrow or what we're doing next week. And and sometimes the the bigger picture isn't articulated and sometimes they think, well, you're at this level, you don't need to know. Well, there's some smart people at that lower level that are that are coming up also that could they they would they maybe would understand it. And and I think that's where the, the breakdown is, is you know, it probably works out in, in the you know in the world. You know, companies have visions and you know, you are how do you articulate that? How are you putting that out to how you're gonna get there and what does it look like for you know this this department or the next department, and how 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 are those, how is it all going to be nested together to get to a place? I think the difference there between the private sector and the military in that regard is that in the private sector, typically there is a posted vision. Everybody at least has an idea of what the vision is for the organization. Hell, they even have it in cases where it's on your your badge, you know, and the back of it is a card that you slip in there. So you know what the mission, the vision, all that kind of good stuff is for the organization. Not everybody still grasp it because it's on a card. They don't hardly look at it and everything. But I think the challenge within the military 
And something I think that we're going to start seeing more and more of is that in the military, usually it's more in the sound bites, like you were talking about, Don. I mean, you were a commander. So, you know, you went from enlisted, you talk about adapting, you went from enlisted to officer and then rose to the ranks of both of those all the way up to E7 as enlisted and then to major as an officer. And so you adapted and saw the changes that came about, but you know too well, too, that in most cases, the time span that most people focus on is a commander's window. And the commander's window is two to three years. Oh, right, right. And right now we don't have clear objectives, right? And not just for, um, you know, I think it's gotten better um, since our current president has taken over in terms of what we're doing in Afghanistan and what our role is in that theater. But I think here stateside, the challenge is now how do you then adapt and then how do the commanders then start articulating or developing first a, a solid vision that's going to take us into the next combat situation? Because we all know it's only a matter of time. Time tells us that, you know, that there's going to be something else that's going to happen, especially now, supposedly as, you know, the, the war on terror is starting to wind down a little bit for conventional. Right. And hopefully we we've gathered a lot of lessons learned that that we won't let set back and, and we stay focused on certain if it's not a area, it's a a force or it's a, you know, we, we don't forget unless, you know, we I came in and we were we were we were shooting Ivan as a target. You know, what I mean, yeah. we were, you know, and it's kind of like you can't just stop what you're doing and transfer and transition to the next thing. You have to still gradually do that when still keeping, you know, it's like, you know, you still have to cover your six. You still have to think about, you know, those things can reoccur and most times they do. And we don't realize that until after we're engaged in something again, it's like, Oh yeah, this is just like this, this scenario. I think to expound on that, the most successful businesses or the most successful units, the ones that we remember, are the ones that really stand out in a specific mm -hmm. conflict, they're the ones that understand that this is the right way, what we're doing right now. It's not going to be the right way tomorrow because our enemy will adapt, our market will adapt, all of that. And I think, like Don was saying, you know, when you're at the mushroom level, uh, at the lower enlisted level, or you know, even the uh, lower ranks of the officers, they say this is the right way it's the only way and it's so black and white and absolute and if you stay in that mindset you're, you're not going to get very far and you're not going to be successful i mean i think ranger regiment always kind of emphasized that this was a state of flux and what to me life is entropy everything's always changing so you know you have to be firmly rooted in what you're doing right now you have to absolutely believe in what you're doing right now but if you think that that's the way it's going to be and it's always going to be the right tactic or the right direction or the right methodology. It's not. Well, absolutely not. We, we preach even in the military to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. When I got out of the military and started, you know, rising kind of through the ranks there, the private sector, it was one of the same messages I tried to tell my people that reported up to me is that, you know, people would people and I've said this on a past episodes, so I'm sorry to repeat it, but I think it's very valid here that. People would come up to me and go, Robert, all I want to do is to stop the merry-go-round and, you know, have the leadership give us a breath. There is just so much change that's going on all the time. It's hard for us to really adapt, and it's just kind of overwhelming. And I go, no, this 
This right here that you're feeling is the new norm. The marketplace, to your point, Paul, is constantly changing. Our competition is deciding our direction, right? So you have to constantly evolve. We have to constantly stay in a a state of chaos, and you've got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And not only that, but if you start living in the uncomfortable, then you start finding your place and where you fit best to be able to lead it not out of the uncomfortable, but maybe help everybody else pivot. Because once you start leading from the front and causing the chaos and making other people follow you is when you're really driving what's going out there in your marketplace. If it's a product that you're making, if it's a service that you're providing, um, you know, that's what you're doing. You're causing the chaos. To now everybody's having to conform to you and catch up or come up with the new idea. You know, like Instagram is getting ready to do away with uh, the visibility of seeing the number of people that uh, like your images. My God, you, you, you thought the world was coming to an end here recently when people started talking about it because now, you know, they're not going to see all the likes. You know, the dopamine is not going to kick in for them because they're not going to see that on a daily basis. You know, the world is all of a sudden coming to an end. You know, I'll just find a new platform to go to. Make no mistake about it. There were companies that have been sitting there looking for an opportunity and a window by which they could take down Instagram and Instagram opened up the window and the door. And so now what they're going to do is they're going to go, okay, we're going to fill these people, people's dopamine and we're going to do it now in a different way. You know, that's, that's kind of the, the adapt, uh, how, you know, companies start to adapt with new products and services in the military. People say, well, I don't have the ability to control that. I'm not in a leadership role, you know, to be able to drive change. I disagree. I think there's a lot of things that you can do within your sphere of influence, right, to to change and disrupt your people that you lead on a daily basis to get them comfortable with the uncomfortable because we're not always going to be in the most cushy environment. You're going to be faced with hard times, whether you're within the military, you get out. And so the more you train in that type of environment – the better soldier, airman, marine, sailor that you're going to be when it matters most. And the same is going to be true within when you transition out to the private sector. No, I, I agree with, I agree. And, you know, that's one of the things you, you know, you were talking about is, you know, in the Western world, it is, it is about things of the future. It is about things of that, you know, and I think where sometimes, you know, we have to, I think, it's a history thing too. You have to be, you have to be somewhat of a historian to know where, how you got to that point. Well, if you stay yeah. around long enough, you're probably going to see it happen. Uh, an experience that you had previously, right? Oh my God, right. we've been that's, here. That's, I saw a command make this decision five years ago or 10 years ago, and I can't believe we're going down this path again. Right. And unfortunately that's for the past, you know, 18 years. There's a lot of places, a lot of units that have deployed, and they think it was like the last deployment, and it's completely different because, yeah, you're going to the same country, but you're going to a different part of it that they're not <clears> – <throat> it's not like that. You know, I, I we, as <clears throat> in the Western world, Americans, we – you know, when we think back of our family history, we go back. We know our grandparents. Some of us know great-grandparents, and if they were famous, we might know our great-great – of our great-great-grandparents. You know, we think we're we're more like you said, Rob. We're thinking about the future. We have a, a one year plan, a five year plan. We're always thinking about the future. And there are some places in this world that 
that don't think past tomorrow or past a day, but they can tell you back 10 generations, you know, and that's what, if you understand that area, you're going to be more successful, you know, and probably less bullets flying to, to make way with someone to make to in a community. To go back to one of the examples you use, like the guys that go back to the same country, but maybe they're in a different part of the country. Like, don't you think like markets evolve because other people are evolving and innovating too? I mean, the, the enemy's innovating as well. So they see what we do. They innovate. You go back. Well, that guy learned, you know, he learned just like we learned. And I think that to your point, knowing your history you, you might be able to anticipate some of the things that that your adversary whether it's in business or whether it's in you know actual mortal combat would learn too but i'm i want to ask you rob like you were talking about how you know instagram's opening up the door in the sense that the competition's always looking at them and how they're gonna you know edge them out or whatever and they just sort of did a, a left turn unexpectedly now we're taking away likes you know what's What's a way to open that door? Like, what does it, what does it take to, to open your own door and, and innovate or change course or approach something from a different angle, from a less entrepreneurial perspective? More of a, do these, do these tenants still apply if your goal is simply to expand your experience? You know, you're not so much interested in creating the next new platform or, um, leveraging all of your knowledge and experience and networking into a paycheck, but you want to enrich yourself spiritually or emotionally, or you want to enrich yourself by, you know, being more engaged in the community around you. But think of it more of as a, a quality of life versus a size of bank account question, you know, is um, all the things you're talking about, you know, watching the trends and, and being flexible and, that sort of thing, but does it apply in that area as well? I think then it goes down to doing some real soul searching, introspective, you know, work to say, you know, this doesn't really fit me as a core, you know, and what I want to be or what I believe in, um, you know, and maybe that's what it goes down to as well, kind of deeply is what, what are your beliefs? What are your core beliefs? Who are you as an individual? How do you see the world? How do you see yourself making the change, uh, a change within the world? Or would you rather not be the one making the change? And that's okay, too. Um, you know, then what role do you want to play? And how much additional knowledge or information would you like to seek to even personally expand your, your growth intellectually? That makes sense. Yeah, <clears throat> that kind of answers my, my question. Because I was listening to you as you went along, and I was thinking, you know, I'm not exactly a, an entrepreneur, um, more of a human experiment, I guess, sort of bouncing along. But I do think that your knowing your passions and knowing your strengths, like that's your advantage, whether you're going to leverage that into cash flow or not, it's to your advantage to know that. I think if you simply want to be a better you, have a better life, have a better experience, I think a lot of the things you're talking about, they still apply. And that's sort of why I wanted to go down that line of questioning, because I think a lot of people listening, they might not really be that interested in starting the next big thing. I know a lot of them are, but maybe they just want to enrich their experience here on planet Earth, not to sound too crunchy about it. But I think that's actually more of what's happening today is that, you know, over time, 
you know, I saw an evolution, which hasn't been actually that long, where we didn't have computers to where then we had computers that were supposed to make our lives better to now we're constantly connected. And so people are now trying to find a way to get back to a time frame in which they had that quality of life that as it's now been termed, you know, and things uh, are evolving maybe faster. And I've heard, even heard that you think about how much time it took to put a man on the moon, you know, basically if you count just, you know, the time of, of humans on earth, that's a long time. But what they've said in, in the last five years, we've made so much success in the technolo technological world and technological space that you're going to see what it took from billions of years ago to the 60s to put a man on the moon is going to happen in the next two to three years. I mean, it's going to go at a fast rate. So for some, that's going to be great. They're going to love the technology. For others, they're going to go, wow, I'm already overwhelmed and inundated with technology. I just want to be able to check out. And how can I just improve my quality of life where it's not just feeling like I'm constantly working when I'm not working? And again, this is all about adapting. It's interesting. I, I, love, the, I love thinking about humanity on such a large timeline. And you think, okay, we were rubbing sticks together to make a fire, and then we were on the moon. And that was like 250,000 years. And then, well, if you believe the fossil record. Could, I was going to say, it could be a hell of a lot longer than that, like a couple million years, right. but yeah. Well, and that's the thing is they're, they're, they're starting to think maybe that 250,000-year timeline is, is much longer. And we look at how fast we're advancing now. Yeah. And so this thought kind of crept into my head, well, maybe, you know, the the thing now with so many people and so much impact on the environment is sustainability, um, zero trace or, or leave no trace. I mean, imagine a, a society so te technologically advanced that after their collapse, the whole thing was biodegradable and we have no evidence of it, you know, which maybe that's a, a little too far out there, but yeah, you know, it's certainly, no, I it's think certainly something to think about. At some point people need to start realizing that, they are leaving more and more thumbprints across the world than maybe they've ever really thought about. So, you know, I get joked a lot by Scott, you know, over in uh, Wells and everything that I wear a tin hat um, all the time. But um, I, I don't like Alexis. I don't like all those gadgets and stuff, you know, in my house that could be listening to me all the time that tells my oven to kick on, that tells my dishwasher to go and turns the TV on and I tell it what channel to go to. Because in order for them it, to, to do that, it, they have to constantly be listening to my voice. Now, granted, you could say, well, they're listening for the keyword Alexis to engage this. We'll pick on that uh, particular, you know, brand. Well, the truth of the matter is they're listening all the time so that they can hear when you say Alexis, right? All that data is being stored. Everywhere you go that you take your phone with you is being tracked. You know, all of those things are happening and stuff. So technology, whether we want it or not, is around us all the time. And so people have to learn now to adapt. I need to learn to adapt with the technology more and more around me, but I can still find my space and should be able to find my space within that. And that's kind of what we're talking about. Whatever environment you place yourself in, you can still adapt and be you. 
if you know who you are and what you really want to do as far as the core, you can still do that. At some point, you might be forced in a corner where you then have to adapt differently than what you would like. But there still may be an opportunity to still remain who you are in the core as long as you first know that, if that makes any sense. And I don't want to get too deep, but you got to know who the hell you are and what your passion is and what your core beliefs are. No, that makes sense. This was, there was a guy, I believe he's like a writer and editor of the some magazine, maybe like Time Magazine or something, back in the 60s and 70s. And he wrote this book that's very famous called Future Shock. And you imagine this was during the, the moon race or there, thereabouts that time frame. And he's talking about how people just can't handle the rapid amount of change and the influx of new people because, you know, people were finally completely uh, de-urbanizing the United States, I guess. And I think if he could see us now, you know, he talked about future shock. I mean, the, the technology that was useful a year ago is obsolete. And the technology from my childhood looks like it belongs in a museum. And that wasn't the case in the 60s. And it's just going to get more more and more exacerbated think about, I wonder the, if it's, think about the book 1984 right and and in those in that book there uh, in um animal farm and how true a lot of those books are in terms of society um how change is going to happen how big brother is going to be watching you or listening to you um, you know, is there ever going to be a time where you're sitting there? I joke uh, with my wife about this last night. I'm like, is there ever going to be a time where you're going to have an individual that comes home that's frustrated with their boss, their employer, or whatever the case, and, you know, they kind of bitch and moan about it, and Alexa or whatever it is at that time frame picks it up, sends a texted code or the recording to your employer and lets them know. So when you arrive at work the next day, they say, hey, I understand you weren't happy with me, uh, Paul. Um, and you go, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Click video or hey, audio plays. Rob, you say that, and, and yeah, you're not probably too far off from that happening. <laughs> and, you know, what's funny is that it was about six years ago, there was a guy that was at my house that was a friend. Um, his wife was a friend of my wife's. And I was talking with them about how quickly artificial intelligence, even at that time frame, was very, very small, was coming along. And I thought, man, this is like incredible what they're able to do. And of course, being in life sciences after I got out of the military and kind of understanding the genome and understanding, you know, DNA and all that and how, you know, working towards medicines and drugs that may turn certain receptors on and off within your body and it'll affect different people based on your DNA makeup. When you start wrapping your head around all that kind of stuff, all this kind of makes sense. That's the same thing that they're doing now with all of the technology that they're putting in place. They know it's going to affect some people differently than others. It's going to drive a behavior different than others. It's going to flip on certain receptors, you know, dopamine. It's going to do all those different types of things in order to trigger a response and a positive one or some type of reaction that they're looking for. And in this case here, this guy was telling me that New Balance, I think it was, if I remember correctly, at that time frame or a couple years prior to that, he was working, I, I can't remember, as a consultant or for a New Balance itself, had implanted a chip within the heel of the shoe to measure how frequently you wore the shoe and what you did when you wore the shoe. And that information was being relayed back. Now, this is before any type of information like that was readily available that we knew, right? 
we just assumed that technology was coming around with new phones and all of this kind of stuff. It was around that same time frame when cell phones started becoming popular. Little did we know we were putting on our tennis shoes to go run down the road or go to the grocery store and everything we're doing is being recorded from those shoes. You know? Yeah, you think about, you know, nowadays. This is even not connected, even with no service, it is collecting oh, data. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are, what are companies doing now? Companies are adapting. They're saying, hey, if technology is readily available, if there's a chip in an automobile that actually can monitor if you have a breakdown so you can push the button and they know where to come uh, provide service to you, what we'll do is we'll offer a good driver discounts to individuals who allow us access to that information and drive good. We'll give them a discount. So I'm now creating a behavior within an individual to drive um, an action so I can get further information. So they're not just doing it so they can give you a reward. You're giving them a reward of all the data. Where do you shop? Where is it that your car is driving? Where do you fuel up at? You know, all of these types of things are now being processed, um, you know, that are going within the system. The world is adapting around us, whether we like it or not. And what I'm saying is it's happening at a faster rate than what it ever has. Artificial intelligence, if you sit down and listen to people who truly understand it, will blow your mind. And I wouldn't be surprised if the insurance companies had capabilities because as you get it and you give your VIN number, to the to to the insurance company that they don't have a pattern of your driving habits. That's who I'm talking about. I'm talking about yeah. the insurance companies who have you know given you a good driver uh, thing. Like I think Progressive is doing that, and um, State mm -hmm. Farm and some others. If you're willing to elect to go into that program, which of course you look at it and you go, "Hey, I can cut my bill by forty percent." Heck yeah, I'll sign up. You don't realize that you're kind of selling your soul one little click at a time. Every time you yeah. every time you get an app that says we have updated our service agreement, how often do you just click the little box or scroll down until the stupid thing that says I accept comes up and then you just accept every it? Every time. Yeah. Every time. We're being conditioned to do that, right? So that means they can then start putting all kinds of different things in there. What was it the uh, recently where you, you, you could download an app and it can make you look old by putting a picture and uploading and everything. Turns out it was the Russians that were doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? That MySpace page is still out there somewhere. You know, it's archived somewhere. A long, long time ago, I worked in data storage. And the things you learn when you work in data storage and disaster recovery are terrifying. I mean, it's all logged and stored. We're talking about how not just an adaptability, but it sounds like we need to do a podcast on artificial intelligence. And I might get some guys that I know that are in that field. Um, and I sat as a consultant with a, a company that was evaluating using artificial intelligence within their own company for data mining and all those types of things and listened to this presentation. And like I said, this was probably two years ago, a year and a half ago, which I'm sure it's far more advanced now. It, it just kind of blew my mind as to what's out there. Now, I came from an environment where you have things like IBM Watson, which everybody's heard of that. You know, most people have. If you haven't, Google IBM Watson. IBM Watson, Watson is this supercomputer that's taking in all this information that many companies are now tapping into because it's learning and adapting all the time. 
ahead of humans now at this rate. So if you go to your weather app, your weather app is IBM Watson, powered by IBM Watson. If you look at your health insurance companies, they're using IBM Watson for your health insurance data, right? They're throwing that in there because IBM Watson can cycle through this information at nanoseconds of what it used to take six years for some programmers and it used to take six hours you know maybe five years ago can take nanoseconds now but let me tell you i can i can go back and don you can probably too and help paul you you probably can and start remembering things back where people thought we'd never do that hell nobody thought we'd walk on the uh, on the moon you know back in there some people still don't believe we have you know but i mean well i think i think the important thing to remember is that science fiction drives technology I mean, there's not much that I've seen in a science fiction movie from my youth that isn't happening now or isn't on the foreseeable horizon. I mean, obviously, death robots from the future. I'm well, not really well, anticipating that. Let's but, go back one step further than that. It wasn't it wasn't the science fiction. It was somebody who came up with that idea that thought, hey, that's, this is a pretty cool concept. Well, some people would make a movie with that. Uh, with that. Another person would make the technology. So it's all about the timing and, again, the individual skills, strengths, and all of that. Um, we'll end up having to do a, a podcast, I think, on artificial intelligence. I think it'd be really good. Uh, I want to yeah, get back even, to adaptability. Even, even the cartoons, right? You can talk into your watch now. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah, the, the Jetsons and everything. We used to think it was cool as kids. That, oh, my God. I, everything right now but the flying car. I, I, yeah. I, oh, they even have those. They just haven't. <laughs> the cost of those are so high, and they, they're not sure yeah, how they kind of suck. Yeah, and they do kind of suck. But it's only a matter of time before they figure that aspect out of it as well. They have cars that drive themselves, though, that's been going through testing for the last three or four years, you know, that are out there on the highway, and they're measuring the number of accidents that they've gotten into, and it's very, very small. And so statistically, they're starting to get more and more to buy into it. So now next time, you know, it could be two years from now, you get into a Lyft or an Uber, and it may not be a driver sitting there. It might be an empty car. That's going to happen. That's hundred percent going to happen. Man. If I'd I told mean, you that five years ago, you'd have told me I was crazy. Yeah, yeah, probably. I remember reading the first articles about it about five years ago. Yeah, and I'll, I'll this is crazy. And I'm talking into my Dick Tracy watch. Yeah, yeah. I, well, how foolish, you know? And I guess that's sort of what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. Like you, you, not well, only should you be adaptable, you know, not only do you need to evolve because it's good for you personally and because it's essential to your professional success but if you don't you're gonna get left in the dust and the murder robots from the future are gonna come back and <laughs> i mean a sitting duck man well yeah they've already got the robots that deliver your food yeah oh there's a there's actually uh uh pizza Domino's Pizza has a car that drives itself that you actually go in there and you make your order online. The car will drive itself, deliver it to your house. Um, it'll You'll enter in your code that has been texted to your phone on the little pad that's uh, there by the window. And the window rolls down and um, the door opens, a little door opens, and that's your pizza in there. And you pull it out. It thanks you for your service, right, uh, for buying it. It tells you to step back and then it rolls up the window and drives off this is legit right i've seen it i saw the video and i, I remember thinking this is amazing but if i had seen that 10 years before i'd be jumping up and down i i you would lose your mind yeah you, you become 
uh, inoculated to it so quickly. So why is it circling back that we have no difficulty, little difficulty adapting to the technology and the change because, you know, it's going on around us all the time and most people are oblivious to it or don't really, you know, care because they actually want to go buy the new phone. Hey, um, iPhone just Apple just came out with a new iPhone. I have to go have it. It has you know better uh, picture taking capability. I need that for my social media uh, platform that I have out there, so all my wonderful followers can see me in high definition, right? So they're now conditioning us through all these different means to do that, but we're now oblivious to the um, the technology change. Why is that? And yet people struggle with the simplest things when we talk about adaptability, adapting and conforming to things within the military, adapting and conforming to when we get out, adapting and conforming to even that crappy boss that's standing in front of you. Whereas, you know, there's a finite time that that person is actually going to be probably your employer or your boss, you know, so why worry about those things? Because you can't control it. Uh, but you can control your own space and adapt to the environment that you're in. I think that the reason is, if I want to meet the future of technology, I just pick up the phone and call the Domino's robot car. But if I want to meet the future of my own development and my own ambitions and my own potential, I have to put in the work and I have to go to these uncomfortable spaces. Exactly. And I have to force myself to evolve. I have to force myself to do the uncomfortable work and to be authentic. You have to be authentic to do it too. So people want their quality of life. In most cases, what that really means is I just want to be lazy, but I want to be able to do it where I still get fed. I still have a house over my head. I have all the things that are most important to human beings, but I just don't want to have to work for it. That would be quality of life to me. Rob, I'm pretty sure we were amazed back when they developed the caller ID. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or the cordless phone. (laughs) Yeah, no lie. I mean, most of us here probably remember even when the beeper came about. Well, because you're too important to drive your car. You've got shit to do because you've got a supercomputer in your hand that's connected to all your business contacts, personal contacts, family. Stay on social media, man. I might be doing high def uh, selfies in the back of the seat with my new iPhone. Why should you do something as menial as driving a car? All you got to do is. Turn your little wrist and move your little ankle. Yeah. Yeah. Let the car do it so you can conduct business or think about your car insurance. You don't think that people are sitting back and looking at this and going, okay, the amount of time, uh, amount of money that an individual spends on car insurance on commute, especially a place like, you know, here in Atlanta where it might be, you know, an hour commute is, you know, about average. So you're traveling 50 miles, maybe one way. Um, So the gas money, the oil, the upkeep of the car, the car payment, you know, all those aspects are going to go into this thing and they're going to know what your price point is that it's going to take you to get out of that car to begin going and riding Lyft Uber type cars that are hands free and driver free. They got you hooked because like you said, you're too important, Paul. You got better things that you can do. It's a better way, honestly. Well, think, yeah, I mean, think about it. What's your hourly rate? Even if you're not your hourly rate is not that high. I mean, if you're median, that's a lot of money to pay somebody to drive a car, even if that person's you. This is all part of the evolution, you know, again, that we've got to adapt. So, 
you know, I, I didn't want to take us too far down the path and getting out of the, the whole military and the private sector and stuff, but it's all relevant in that every day there's going to be, you know, mass confusion that's going on around you. There's going to be constant change that's occurring, whether it's through technology, whether it's through products or services that are happening, whether it's through the change of the military and their mission set, or whether you join a different unit within the military and that, that mission set is entirely different from the one you had before. Whether it's a different theater that we're now getting engaged into and because we see a different threat on the on the horizon, so we have to begin training uh, for those potential threats, which are much different. But it also means you got to have an open mind first to what's going on around you so that you can find the peace and calming in the environment that you're living in because otherwise you'll go completely insane if all the change is around you and you feel like it's overwhelming and you can't you can't stop the merry-go-round, well, then you're in a world of hurt. Uh, because you're never going to be able to control that type of stuff, but you can control how you are impacted or how you handle those situations. And and a lot of that is adaptability. And I agree with that, Rob. It's like you might, these people might might be the ones that are, that are changing the technology or that, but you still need to be checked into what's going on around you. You still need to be in tune. Yeah, I agree. I think, this sort of dawned on me a few years ago and it's become my mantra when I'm feeling overwhelmed by change and, and by the need to adapt is you got to live in your time. I wish I could go back to, you know, when you, the kids rode their bikes until the street lights came on and then they come home. But that's not the world we live in. We live now and you have to look at it honestly. And if you live in the now and you live in the world and you live in your time, or excuse me, if you live in your time, the time that's in front of you in the best way possible. I think you're okay. So far it's working all right for me. At least I feel like my feet are under me. I don't feel like I'm on shifting sands, you know? When you start doing those types of things, I think that's where you start gaining your quality of life that you talked about earlier. That's where you feel like you're in a better space. Um, because then you feel like you are in more control of something. I love the thing about got to live in your time. Um, but too many people too don't, Think about this moment. You know, you said something about next moment. Don't even think about next moment. Think about this moment. And in each moment, in each 30 seconds is another minute that you breathe, that you live and everything else. And so if you're constantly focusing on what am I going to do next year? What am I going to be doing? My next assignment? What is going on around me? There's a point of which you really need to kind of decompress, set back and and, uh, reassess and disrupt yourself kind of all over again and and find that quality of life and that balance so that you know you can handle the chaos once again once you get back engaged and, and i may be talking only minutes but you you deserve that even if it's on a daily basis got to be present man yeah just live in the moment 